Ready for the interview And if you get a cue Live on the laptop Watch what I'm gonna do Welcome to the show Let them know we got a point of view Hey, yo Let's have a combo Say what you feel Be real, that's the motto Real talk, pronto Doctor D, PhD Hit the intro Hold up, wait Gotta be social Network global Home for the locals Gotta be social Network global Home for the locals all right, Miss Marcy, you got an interesting story to tell. We got to hear all about it, you know. Oh, boy. All right. I mean, it sounds like it? sounds like <laughs> fun, trouble, information, all of it, all mixed into one. Yeah, it's been eventful. It's definitely been uh, unexpected and eventful. Unexpected. What do you mean, like, by unexpected? What's the big part of the unexpected aspect of it? Uh, what hasn't been? I think what I learned from a very young age was that you just, you have no idea. You could start off in life on one track and think it's going to go one way, especially when you're little. And then life just goes, uh, I don't think so. And completely changes things. And for me, it kept, it kept throwing things at me that I couldn't catch my breath and sort of go, okay, I'm here now. Okay. I'll deal with this before it would send me in another direction. That was really ch always challenging. And I just, I, I couldn't catch up. And then when that happens, I broke and that set me in a completely different unexpected direction. So, yeah. Isn't that amazing? So, I mean, you wrote a book and uh, the title alone is extremely uh, interesting mm -hmm. about mm -hmm. it. Let's start back when the unexpectedness started and kind of created the genesis for this book. Let's go. Let's hit the rewind mm -hmm. machine here. You know? All right. So for me, I will tell you. Uh, so when I started off in life, it's just, I, as I said, on paper, everything seemed great. I was the youngest of three kids, you know, sort of middle-class family um, in Canada. Um, I was very, I was this very confident, feisty little kid. Like I was always dancing and in plays and in shows, I played sports. I was also, I mean, I wrote a petition about my teacher in like the second grade because I, I thought he was mean. And got everyone to sign it. And he actually apologized. And the principal, like I, if I felt there was an injustice, I had no problem standing up for it. And that was great. And I was lucky enough that I had a mom who told me at a very young age, you have a voice and you have every right to use it. So she really supported that in me. And that's a great way to grow up. I felt very loved and very protected, very young. Had it continued that way, who knows what would have happened, but it didn't. And for me, the sort of the common thing was my parents got divorced when I was 10, not traumatizing, not great. I was the first kid in my entire school whose parents got divorced. This is like 1980. Um, my father left and left my mom with three kids and it, it was challenging, but you know what? My mom was so spectacular. I had an older brother, five years older, that was so spectacular that I still felt good. I still felt safe and loved and protected. That's really all you need. So my life completely changed when I was 17 years old. To me, May 28th, 1987 was the day that my entire life changed and set me on a, on a path oh, that I still have yet to completely recover from. I don't know that I ever will. And what happened was, um, as I said, I was very, very close with my older brother. And I would describe, I used to describe him as he was the invisible armor I wore out in the world to protect me. And my mom was my safe place to come home to. And when I was 17, he died. And he was sick, but I didn't know 
the degree of how sick he was. I was literally writing an English exam when my principal came in and took me out and, and said he died. And the moment before I heard that was the last moment that I'd feel safe in the world for a very long time. And, and I also felt like, I felt like he was a much better per person than I was. And I felt that he deserved to be here more than I did. And if I was going to be here instead of him, oh my God, I had to earn my place. I couldn't just be regular. I had to be spectacular. And at this point, I didn't feel spectacular. And as a, I guess a girl, 17, I was at that, that part in my life where I'm like questioning myself. I'd always been fit and healthy and all that, but I started obsessing over my weight. And I, you know, my brother's death gave birth to an eating disorder. And so from then I went from being this little girl who felt like she could take on the world to feeling like I didn't deserve to be part of it and trying to make myself as small as possible. Now, I will jump and say that when you go out into the world and you feel like you're worthless, you leave yourself open to people and things that don't have your best interests at heart. And again, life kept, kept hitting me. I mean, right after my brother died, my stepfather was arrested for bank robbery. We didn't know he was leading a completely different life. Wow. My mother got cancer. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he was a caterer and he would, <laughs> it's funny now. What the hell? <laughs> like... Yeah. So my mother had, had met this man through friends and um, he moved in with us for two years and was close with my brother. And then my brother died and it wasn't even a year later. He was a caterer. So he said, and he would take me to the market where he got his meat and his vegetables. And he would tell me like detailed stories of the, the weddings he catered and all of this. And uh, every two weeks he would be away all day and all night because he'd be catering these big church breakfasts. And until one day he was out doing one of these things and didn't come back. <laughs> and then we found out, oh, he'd been arrested leaving a bank and he, uh, he wasn't a caterer. He, every two weeks he would drive from Montreal to Toronto, about six hours and rob a bank. And the police were after him for two years. They called him the satchel bandit because he carried a little, <laughs> a little bag. Yeah. Yeah, and he that was the last time I saw him. He uh he got the max, which was twenty one years in prison. I have no oh. idea what what happened. So so I mean I do laugh at it now because it's so insane, but at the same time, at the time, th these are two men in my life who the third my father left, my brother died, this guy left, was arrested. It's like what is going on? And then my mom was diagnosed with cancer and she made it through at that point. But it was a lot for my little 17 year old brain and heart to deal with. And I was in a theater school and I dropped out. And um, I mean, I will I'll sort of fast forward just to say that that life kept throwing challenges at me and I was still battling this very severe eating disorder. So still feeling like I wasn't ever going to be good enough. So I gave up any dream I had had any any goals I had, I kind of gave them up because I didn't, I felt like, what's the point? A, life is scary. So who knows what's going to happen? B, I'm not pretty enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not interesting enough anyway. But I ended up um, meeting somebody, getting married and thinking, okay, so maybe my life will be normal now. You know, maybe. <laughs> Seems to work that way for other people. Um, but it wasn't. And we, we moved to the other side of the country and did normal things. You know, I, I got pregnant, but I lost that baby. Got pregnant, lost that baby. Got pregnant again. Um, was on the phone with my mom. She was, you know, on the other side of the country, on the phone with her three times a day. She would call me with her cravings, you know, her pregnancy cravings, because this was our baby. 
And then I was about five months pregnant and I got a call from my sister saying, you've got to come home, mom's dying. So she was sick again and she didn't even let me know because she didn't want me to stress because I had lost two babies. So I had, I was not prepared the same way I wasn't prepared when my brother died. And I, I flew across the country and got to see her for a few hours before she died. And so here I was gonna be a mother without my mother a few months later, not prepared. And uh, then it, my son came early. She actually saved his life. It's kind of a crazy story. But, but even that was traumatic. Even having my son was traumatic because we almost lost him. And then, so this is a lot to deal with, obviously. It's physically, I'm dealing with a lot. Emotionally, I'm dealing with a lot without this time to recover. At this point, I'm, I'm 28 years old, having lost you know, two babies, my brother, my mother, all of this. And got pregnant again. And long story short, ended up with just this bizarre illness that put me in the hospital for two months, kidney failure, respiratory failure. Um, 25% chance of surviving, had to learn how to walk, talk, breathe again on my own. They didn't expect me to survive, lost that baby. Get out of the hospital. Okay. Life's been hard, right? Again, physically, I've been through five pregnancies. I've had to build myself up again from almost dying. Lost so many people. This is where things get, <laughs> get crazy and bizarre. So... At this point, we moved back east and been married for a few years now, been through all of this. And my husband at the, at the time, he brings up the idea. So, okay, no, I'm missing one. I had another baby. So I got out of the hospital in 2000, had another baby in 2001. Really wanted another baby, second miracle baby. But now it's, you know, five pregnancies in a short period of time. With everything I've been through, again, my body's physically, I'm just, and I'm still dealing with an eating disorder. So I, I'm going through a lot. Just a few months after my, my child was born, my husband thinks it's, mm, it's a good time to mention change the dynamic of our marriage and wanting to, to open things up. Oh. Now, I, he'd mentioned it before, years earlier, and I, it, I just wasn't game. Now, I was always the one with the, like, the strong sex drive. I'm not a prude at all. Our sex life was good, but I liked the one-on-one. -on -one. I really didn't have any fantasies of opening things up. Uh, and again, you're talking about somebody who dealt with an eating disorder since they were 17. So not super comfortable with kind of sharing my body. At this point, at this point, when he brought it up again, I had just had a baby. My fifth pregnancy after delivering two. Um, got a, I have scars from having ma like major surgeries. And, uh, and he wanted to, to start having like sleep with other people. And I'll tell you that at this point, a therapist said to me once, I, I don't know if it was a technical term or something she made up, but she said, I went through something called traumatic overload where you have so much trauma in such a short period of time that you can't, your body, something in your brain and your system says you're done. Like you can't, you can't handle anymore. It's too much because again, I had lost my support system through my mother and my brother too, right? I wasn't close with my sister. All I had was my partner who was saying, instead of, you don't want your partner to be possessive. At the same time, he almost lost me like a year earlier. You kind of, <laughs> I kind of wanted to feel he was a little protective right. of me, you know, instead of like the first thing you wanted was for me to sleep with his friend. <laughs> so, wait a minute. Wait, <laughs> wait a minute. <laughs> wait a minute. <laughs> 
<laughs> hey, you know what? I like you to sleep with my friend. You know, there's a lot of bad mm-hmm. stuff happen, but don't worry about it. <laughs> mm-hmm. And the craziest part, Darren, is that he, the friend that he wanted me to sleep with was one that he knew I did not like at all. Like he picked a friend that I, like that friend would call the house and I'd be like, uh, like, and, and, like uh, and, I, and he'd always get mad at me because I was rude. I knew him for a while. And I think it was because less of a threat to him right no chance of me falling for this other person yeah he's choosing someone that i don't i don't like so um with everything going on with having no support system with going through everything i've been through with feeling still like i need to earn my place in the world right i'm still feeling like i don't deserve to be here i felt like I, there was a part of me, I guess, that went, oh, okay. If, if I felt that I had lost the people in my life who loved me. So if, because I also knew that this friend had a bit of a thing for me. So I thought, okay, so if, if I could be desired, then maybe that's something. That's, and I was still so searching for some sort of self-worth. So we did that. And that was like, for me, that was, a turning point because, and I say this in my book, I get very, I'm very honest in my book. And I will say that the, for me, something I will never, ever, ever forget was, it wasn't quite a threesome. It it was more like, oh God, this is awful. It was more like one at a time with me, right? But they were both there. (laughs) And at one point they high-fived each other. And I will never forget that because it went from being where I told myself, oh, you're, you're a couple and you're doing something kind of crazy and to they were doing. And, and the way I described it in my book is I felt like a drunken sorority girl getting double teamed by two frat brothers. Yeah. And, and that was really demoralizing and that really changed things for me. And so from that point on, I felt like I served two purposes. One was to be the best mother I could be because I had had the best mother and lost her when I was 28. And I thought, I also, because I had almost died when I was 29, I felt like, I don't know how much time I have left. Like, I, I still always feel that way. I, I don't know, could be tomorrow, I have no idea. So I needed every memory of theirs to be so good. You know, I just wanted them to feel loved every minute. So that was one goal. I needed to just them to be the happiest, like kids that felt the most safe ever. And I wanted to, I felt like I needed to find my validation through the sexualization of my body. If I'll be, I'll be, you know, the greatest mom, but also I guess this like sex toy for my partner and whatever. Thus was the catalyst for this double life that I started living for a little while. (laughs) I mean, this is wild. You know this, right? This is like, It's like it's, a really wild situation. It sounds exhausting. Yeah, it's yeah. Um... You're speaking about it. And it's like I'm just like I'm getting hit over the head with story after thing after turn, and it's like wow. It's like man, if somebody you think you have problems, you never need to reevaluate <laughs> it after hearing this, <laughs> right? Like, I mean, so yeah. what happened after that? Because clearly, more things started happening. I mean, the book is about lies, loss lap dances mm-hmm. you clearly went on to other things beyond this yeah so i'm trying to think of it so what happened was so we did okay so we we did fall into this thing of 
um, opening things up. And then he wanted to go to like swinging clubs and, and try that stuff. And I will tell you, I, I, I make it very clear. I wasn't forced. It wasn't where I was like, you know, being dragged. It wasn't. There was a part of me that did feel, that did get that validation, even if it was temporary. Um, and I was still, again, dealing with this, this, the body image issues, even though I was really fit and all of that. But it did give me this feeling of, okay, again, if I can't be loved, maybe I could be desired and wanted and that. But I didn't like the feeling of being controlled. And I felt like I didn't have much say as far as who we were with and the things that we were doing. And I didn't like that. For example, if we go to a singer's club and he would get to choose who we were with, I wouldn't. It, he never wanted me with, to be with anyone that I felt was attractive. It's an in, obviously an insecurity thing. But then if I were to, during the day, go to a coffee place and come home and say, oh, I was sitting there and this man came over to talk to me. He'd be like, well, what kind of vibes were you putting out? You must've been putting out vibes kind of thing. So I started to feel, <laughs> the thing with me is I've, I've always, I guess there's that, that little rebellious part of me that as the little girl wrote the petition about the teacher, right? And could stand up to anybody. I always say, I wish that rebellious part of me in this situation would have said, this isn't healthy. This isn't good for you. You need to get out. Instead, it was like, it, took, it went the other way. And it was like, you think you can control me? Like, just watch. <laughs> and so, and I was getting attention. I was this hot little number, you know what I mean? I was like 31 or whatever. Um, so I, I kind of, I always say I went rogue. So I... I, I started, I, well, it's not, it's not good, but I would absolutely be with my kids when, when, when they weren't in school, when they were quite little at the time. I mean, I was there with them every minute, but then when I wasn't with them, if, if they were in daycare or if whatever, I would, if somebody looked at me, if a man looked at me and gave me attention, I'd go. Like I was really, I was, yeah, sharing myself way too much with the wrong people. And I didn't, I wasn't confusing lust with love. I wasn't, you know, I never felt good about it, but it did make me feel some value, even though there really wasn't much value in it. Um, and then what happened was I had met a trainer. At my gym. I was still obsessed. I would go to the gym. I belonged to two 24 hour gyms because one of them had the audacity to close on like Christmas <laughs> <laughs> and like early on Sundays. But I would never be, I was the only one there at like two o'clock in the morning, three o'clock. Like I thought sleep, what's, that's so lazy. Like there's so many more hours in the day if you don't sleep. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I, was, I was going to the gym obsessively and I met a trainer who was like, oh, I can get you to look like a fitness model. And so I was like, okay. Um, so it was a very rigorous routine, like really starving myself and, and working out. But you, he was extra, right? You had to pay for this kind of training. Now, I had toddlers and I wasn't working because I was home with them. And I felt guilty sp spending money that was for the household on myself. I mean, I was someone who went to the hairdresser once a year. I never shopped. I didn't, I didn't spend money on myself ever. So I felt too guilty if I were to take the money that my husband brought home to use it on myself for a trainer. So I had to think, well, <laughs> very normal. What, what kind of job can I get home with my kids all day but then I'm making money and of course every every mom would think stripping yeah why not <laughs> <laughs> of 
just a natural progression. Well, what had happened was before that, we had gone to strip clubs together and I thought it was fun and cool. And they would, we'd go to places where they'd pull women up on stage. And so I'd go up and I thought it was fun. So then I thought, well, that makes sense. I like to dance and whatever. So there was a chunk of time. I mean, I only did the dancing thing briefly, but there was a chunk of time when I would go days without sleeping um, because I would be with my kids all day and then I'd put them to bed. And I mean, he was home, but it was, I wanted to be, it was important for me to be there for them. And then I would go to the club and I would dance. And then, and I'm telling you, I was the only, I was the only dancer. I'm pretty sure that had, I didn't have a sip of alcohol or any drugs the entire time I was doing it, but I would have a protein shake in my locker because I knew, you know, 1130 got to have my protein shake. <laughs> so <laughs> I would do that. And then I'd get home around four and then I would change. I'd have my trainer approved snack of whatever that was, green beans and half a piece of boiled chicken. And then I would go to the gym, the 24 hour gym. And then I'd come home and I would shower and I, would, I wouldn't sleep. I'd be up when my kids got up and I would go into the next day. And I continued this for several months, kind of off and on, so that I could pay for my training, which was awful. I mean, it was really just starvation and whatever. Um, like to the point where my kids would say to me, are you eating today or just watching? Like it was super, super unhealthy, but I was on the go. Like it was crazy that I was up for, you know, 48 hours straight and just go, 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 go. I was like, I was running on fumes and trauma. Like that really wow. was, really was it. Um, and then from there, I just, um, again, I started these kind of, I want to say relationships, but I was, I was getting out there. Let's just say, and and I think my husband knew, um, but he didn't want to know because I think if he stopped me from doing the extracurriculars, then I think he was afraid that I would stop what was going on between us, right? Because our sex life was so good and we were still doing things. And so I was just in this free fall um, and feeling really bad about myself. Like I would, I would feel terrible. And sometimes I would let's say to, in order to punish myself like I felt like I'm such a bad person for doing this to prove it I'm going to do it more just to prove how bad I am um and that went on for a few years this kind of being you know Susie Homemaker part of the time and then the town vixen for the rest of the time and that that went on for yeah a few years wow do you feel like if he hadn't suggested that you open things up that this kind of wormhole you would have never gone down this pathway at uh, this for that part of your life yeah I don't think I would have gone there I mean I think realistically um it's not like so I, I'd never I'd never done anything like that before I had never with the dancing in but I do I will say that I remember when I first moved out on my own I didn't have any money I remember thinking I was young like 19 I remember thinking should I strip? And then thought, oh my God, I can never do that. Like it kind of went and it never. So I think what happened was there were, it's not like I went from being somebody who was very bookish and very one way. And then all of a sudden, oh, and now I'm dancing on tea. Where'd that come from? Like, I can't, I've always danced. I still dance. Yeah, I, I was in touch with my sexuality. So it's not like, it's like I went from being one person to completely different, but there was a line I didn't cross. I wouldn't have a hundred percent. I wouldn't have crossed. I mean. I remember early on in our marriage, I, we were, I don't know if I'm the marrying type, maybe that's the problem too, but uh, <laughs> I remember 
being out, I was working somewhere and there was this guy that would come in all the time and he was flirtatious. And I remember thinking, oh, I'm like, I'm attracted to him. And, and it bothered me. And I said to, to my husband, this was so many years ago. And I said, I don't like that I'm feeling tempted to go out with him. He asked me, like, let's fix this. So I, I, it was never my thing to cheat. It was never my thing to open things up. I was like, no, I'm, this is where I'm committed to. This is it. But yeah, once, once I felt like he didn't care, you know, and, and is very, it's fine with me. It's kind of like, I felt like if it's okay, if it's okay for me, for me to sleep with people, he chooses for me, like then it should be okay for me to sleep with people I choose for me. Like you can't pick and choose that way. It's still my body. And I think the difference is with men and women to generalize, I think men have an easier time at compartmentalizing things, right? So I think for him, he thought I could be Marcy during the day and then be this kind of sex toy at night and, and keep that separate. But I couldn't do that because it's still me. Like it's, it's still me the whole time. And even though there were times I felt completely detached and I did. I mean, I, I talk about how there was one day I remember looking in the mirror and literally saying out loud, who are you? Like I was so disconnected from it. I literally didn't recognize myself. But I'll tell you something else that I remember. And it was like such an awful thing. But I remember one day specifically, I had been dancing. I'd come home, had my snack, gone to the gym. And I'm at the gym. It's so It makes me laugh now, but it's so crazy. And I, I felt myself get onto a machine like a certain way, like as if I was straddling kind of thing you know what I mean and, and yeah. I caught myself and I'm like holy but did, did anybody see that and I thought oh my god and it just it proved that I was still me I couldn't it wasn't like oh 7 a.m now I'm Marcy mom like it just doesn't work that way and so it, it does absolutely mess with you and so I mean do I think uh, my life was crazy anyway I would have needed help anyway it, it probably you know my eating disorder all of that I had to deal with that but it certainly had he not wanted to open things up it's certainly wouldn't have gone that way like, you know there's you you when people deal with things they turn to drugs alcohol gambling whatever the thing about my story that's unique is that I did the way that I handled it was kind of unusual and I don't think that would have happened had it been a different situation I mean did you have any inkling though that he wanted this type of lifestyle with, you know, like the pre before this happened, was there any indication that that's what he wanted? Like early, early on. Yeah. You mean like, yeah, no, because again, I was, that's why I was like the, the crazy one. Like I was the, <laughs> the one that had more partners before we got together. I was the one that was, um, you know, he was very conservative seeming, which is what I kind of liked. Right. Yeah. Like I come from all this craziness. So I kind of liked that everything seemed safe. So no, it was, uh, no, it was really, yeah. And again, I didn't have, at one point I said to, years later, I said to my sister who I'm close with now, but we weren't for years. We were, we were estranged. So I had no, I wasn't, didn't know my cousins. Like it was literally just me. And I said to her, cause something else had happened. And I'd said, how did I not leave? Like what, when, when he was, there were certain things that were going on. And she said, where are you going to go? Like you had nobody you had no one. And, and it's true. Like I just, I, I, so I, I, I lived with so much shame and it took me a long time to forgive myself for certain things that I did because I recognize now that I was just doing what I had to do to, to get by. Yeah.
No, it makes a lot of sense. So how did this, how did you get out of this, this cycle? Like, how did it start to like dissolve and end like on this part? Yeah. So it, <laughs> oh God, I'd love to say it stopped being dramatic, but um, okay. It just keeps so being like... <laughs> dramatic, right? It just, the hits keep coming. It does. Yeah. Okay. And again, I'm laughing and it sounds awful, but it's because honestly, it nearly destroyed me and I have to laugh now because it's just so crazy. So there were a couple of times because my story isn't things were good, then bad, then good. It it wasn't like that. There were there were peaks and valleys, and what had happened was, and this is, I say this now because there was there was a lot there were a lot of things in my life that I carried shame around for two decades, but the biggest one, the one that I oh, I was terrified would come out. The one that I, I hated myself for was the fact that I was with a few men that had, that were married. And that was something I really struggled with. I, I'm still, I still hate that I did that. Um, but I really had a, a hard time with that. And so what had happened was, what happened was, okay. So when I was in the middle of everything, all the craziness, and, and this is tells you how long ago it was. This is before, like, we had cell phones, but they didn't do anything. So, like, my computer, we had a family computer in the basement, you know? <laughs> you had to dial up. Like, this is we're talking a really long time ago. And uh, my routine was I'd get up and I'd go downstairs, check my email, go to the gym at, like, 5 o'clock in the morning. So I did that one day and I go down and I look at my email and I had three emails from three wives. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> the same morning. So that was like, well, no, it was two wives and a husband saying she knows. Um, so it was this like, holy, oh my God. Like, <laughs> first of all, I don't understand how men don't delete their texts, but that's a whole other story. <laughs> um, <laughs> I understand it. Wow. But, but it was, so, and that to me, I, it was like I was hit by a truck and it wasn't, oh my God, I was caught. It was oh my God, what am I doing? Because to me, there was never, there was never a second of me thinking, oh, I've, oh, I've got this person's husband. Like it wasn't that it was, it was me thinking I, this is a terrible thing. I deserve terrible things to happen to me because I'm a terrible person. I, I wasn't even thinking, like I didn't even realize somebody else was being hurt in it. Until I got the messages and realized, oh my God, there's, there are people that are being like, there are women who feel shitty right now. And I had something to do with that. And I hated that. Like, I hated that. And that, like, I, I started just bawling and <laughs> I, I, listen, I'll, I'll leave this for the book, but let's just say I, I went upstairs and told my husband and I did not get the, the response that anyone would expect. And I, it just, it just, he wasn't mad. He wasn't whatever. It, it just demoralized me even more. Um, but I knew then that it had to stop. Like, that was it for me. That was it. Like I was hurting other people. Again, I didn't care if I was hurting myself, but I was hurting other people. And I was terrified it would come out and my kids wouldn't, and it would affect them. Like it was just, oh. So I spoke to a therapist and I, and it was, I had to stop all the craziness, all of the, it was just to focus on just getting better. And, and I did. And so first I went into recovery from my eating disorder. Um, and then I had been put on painkillers for these surgeries I had when I was sick. Um, and I got off those. Oh, I didn't throw in. I also had in the middle of all this, 
the doctor saw something on my liver and I had to have part of my liver removed. So I had to deal with, with major surgery that way um, and rebuild my body again. Uh, so I got on a good track, you know, got into recovery. I was strong. Uh, I put all that behind me, sort of got our marriage back on track in the sense that we focused on our children um, who were both very busy and athletic and we had stuff to focus on. I got out of recovery from my eating disorder and it was, this was back in 2007. So Facebook was just really starting. So there weren't the body positivity groups and all that. There was nothing. So I was, I didn't like the messages that kids were getting in school about weight, about health. And um, I would hear kids talking about their bodies and, and I didn't like, cause I saw what I had gone through. So I had never dealt with the shame of the things I had done in my past. And there was this fear that I would be speaking somewhere and then somebody would come up to me and say, I know the truth, or I know you're not a good person or, or go to my kids and tell them they didn't know about the dances. They didn't know about any of it. And so that kept me from living the life that I should have been living because I, I still felt so much shame and fear. Oh my God, fear. I would walk through the grocery store and I, I talk about this in my book. How there was one day I just done a workshop at a school and I'm feeling good and I'm walking with my children who are in elementary school. And this man walked by me and he kind of looked at me. And uh, one of my sons said, why is that man looking at you like that? And could have been, he thought he knew me, could have been, he was trying to flirt. <laughs> but my thought was like, did you see me naked? Like, I don't know, you know? And <laughs> so, I mean, we're going back, it would have been 15 years earlier, but still. So there was a fear that he was going to say something. And it was just, it was such a, a, like a, like an anchor around my neck, you know? And it kind of set me back. And I don't know what the catalyst was, but I relapsed into the food. I stop doing my workshops because I felt like how can I teach people how to feel good about themselves and to have self-confidence when I feel like I'm still a horrible person who's worthless. I started to feel like maybe again, I didn't deserve to be here. Maybe my kids would be better off if I wasn't here anymore. And I just, I crashed. My marriage wasn't great. I was feeling very unloved. Um, I felt very alone. I, and then it got to a point where this is only going back maybe to 2015 where I would drive my kids to school who were in high school at this point. And every day for like a year, I would drop them off at their schools and on the way back pass an overpass and think, what if I, what if I move the car a little bit to the right? You know, what if I stepped on the, would, would it hurt? Would it be quick? Would they be better off? And that's a horrible way to live. And then I had, I, and I, and I would, and I would cry every day and, and fix myself and take the kids to school and drive them while I would drive them, I, I would say to myself, okay, make sure you sing to something in the car. Make sure you sing to, make sure you laugh at something. Like, don't let them see how sad you are. And then uh, I had an, an interaction with a woman at the grocery store one day and she said something about how she always saw light in me. And I was like, who, me? Like, what? Like, what are you And that made me think, maybe I'm not done yet. You know, I felt like I was done. Like, I felt like, I felt like you're given a certain amount of strength when you're born. And I felt like I had been through it. I used it all up. And so I had nothing left. And then I thought, but she's telling me she sees a light in me whenever she's like, well, maybe, maybe there's something I don't see. And that's when I decided to really make a change in my life. It took me a little while. It didn't happen overnight, but eventually, you know, I left my marriage and started over and started sort of reclaiming my, 
myself. I, by the time I left, I had no idea who I was. I, I, I didn't know. I knew nothing. I, I had a therapist who said I was like a puddle of nothing because I didn't know who I was. I'd lost my complete self. And since then I've been building it back and it's been surprising. <laughs> Everything seems surprising here. <laughs> it's just one surprise after another surprise. Um, truly an amazing story. I haven't heard one of these stories in a long time. I, when I first oh, yeah. started my podcast by four years ago, I had a couple of these stories, which I was like, wow, it's just, you just listen and mm. you hear the explosions over and over again, you know, and it's, uh, it recenters you in a sense to realize like there are, there are different things happening in life to different people. And, uh, but we always get stuck into our own thing. We don't realize like, Hey, there's, there's a lot of trauma happening out there, like a lot. Yeah. And, and I think, I think actually, sorry, just to say, I think what happens too is, is when you're going through trauma, I think you minimize it yourself. And I think that there are a lot of people who probably yeah. are going, are going through hell and don't even realize it in the sense that they, like when I decided to leave my marriage, I remember it took me a long time when we were together for 24 years, even, you know, even after all of this. And, and it was because I kept saying, well, it's not that bad. You know, I'm not yeah. abused. I'm not. And then you realize, well, okay, but is that how, what your life's supposed to be? Is it supposed to be not that bad? Or right. even when I was, when I was writing this book, there were so many times I stopped because I thought who's going to care. And it's not such a big deal. And I had a couple of friends who knew some, no one knew everything, but who knew some and said, no, no, keep writing. It's just keep writing. And it's only when people would read it and then they would message me and say, holy shit, you've been through a lot. That I went, oh, you know what? Like maybe, maybe it is a lot because when it's happening to you, it's just your life. Yes. It doesn't seem that crazy because you're just living it. But when other people hear it and go, oh, what that, what? That's <laughs> when you go, oh, like, I guess, I guess it doesn't happen to everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that amazing? I think I've heard a lot of this type of stuff before in different stories. I think the same exact thing. Well, I just thought this was just how it was. And and isn't that like an understanding that, you know, if you live in kind of a silo, you're going to think that if you're not exposed to different experiences, you don't know what's quote unquote, this isn't supposed to be happening. Exactly. You just don't know that. It's just what you have adapted to in your life. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That's, and and I say all the, well, I say all the time when people will say, uh, oh, you're so strong, you're so strong. And anyone who's been through any trauma hears that. And the thing that I'll hear also is, oh, you know, I couldn't have survived half of what you went through. And I, and that's not true because like, luckily they, like, hopefully they will never have to find out. Right. I just had to find out. And, and I've said before, it's kind of like if somebody had come to me when I was 10 and said, okay, so here's, here's your life in front of you. This is what the next few decades are going to look like. Are you good with that? I wouldn't have said, all right, I can handle it. I would have been like, no way. I'm checking out right now. There's right no, now. There's no <laughs> way. There's no way I would have, but I wasn't given that choice. Right. It just happens. And so I think we're all stronger or more resilient than we think we are. It's just the lucky ones are the ones that never have to find out. They never have to prove it. And then the rest of us that do, I think you find you, that you have, you have it. It's just, it's kind of like, it's, it's there when you need it. You just don't, even if you fall, like that's the thing too. When people say, oh, you know, it's amazing how you can just get up and keep going. No, I didn't. I fell a lot and I made a lot of bad decisions and I did a lot of bad things. So it wasn't easy. But again, I used to criticize myself for how I made it through. And now I'm just proud of myself that I made it through. So 
I don't punish myself anymore for the things that I didn't do well. I was doing the best I could at that time. And I recognize that now. I mean, what a great lesson. I mean, that's, I think it's a great ending point too. I mean, what a great lesson. What a tremendous story. Um, how can people connect with you about your book and your life? I mean, I think this is going to be very well received. Let's be honest. People are going to be like, what? You think? What? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm really out there. I'm, I'm really quite out there. Like, that's the thing. Once I let go of the shame and, and I hid it for so long. So that's the thing is once I decided to put it in a book, that's huge. You were talking about all those yeah. secrets that I kept so guarded for most of my life for t at least 20 years. I decided I'm going to put it in a book. And I mean, my kids didn't know anything. And here I'm telling my children all this and they've been spectacular. But I had to really risk losing everything. Yes. To say, well, this is who I am. And I was ready to do it because I wasn't, I had to get to the point where I wasn't ashamed anymore, that I didn't care. If, like I, once I stopped judging myself, I was ready to be judged by other people. It wasn't going to mm. hurt me because I felt like if my life had, if the things that had happened to me didn't kill me, being judged for how I survived them wasn't going to kill me. Mm. Right. The hard part was what I went through being judged for surviving it. Now nah, that's not going to hurt me. So I put it out there and it was amazing. I really only got more love and, and people saying thank you for being honest because then they came to me with stuff that they felt alone now they don't feel alone not everybody can share now it's like now I can't stop like now I'm so open with everything <laughs> I could tell <laughs> I'm, I'm completely unfiltered and I still dance if you go onto my social media I'll dance and I'll lip sync I mean it's my thing so I'm very easy to find on social media just my name just Marcy Warhaps on Instagram on Facebook on TikTok all of them um, I also do resiliency training which is marcywarhaft.com. I have my own podcast that I started called How to Ruin Your Own Reputation. And that came out of mine, right? I had to be willing to, Love it. to, to ruin my reputation. So I have people on who are living lives that people don't understand. And it's a way of saying, this is me. This is my life. I'm unapologetic. And listen, and maybe you'll learn and judge less. So How to Ruin Your Own Reputation. Um, yeah. So just find me. I'm very easy to find. And my book is on Amazon. And it's also an audio book. The Good Stripper, a soccer mom's memoir of lies, loss, and lap dances. Wonderful. Marcy, I mean, that was <laughs> it's shocking, honestly. I mean, it's like, <laughs> but I just love your energy. Like, you know, the audience, they don't get to see kind of the little conversation we have before we hit record. But I could tell you for people who are listening, they're going to listen to this. I knew this was going to be great because Marcy came on with energy, excitement. <laughs> She just seems like a fun person. And I was like, yeah, this is going to be a great story. You just feel <laughs> it with people. I'm sure a lot of people feel that with you when they meet you. They feel your energy and your, your zest and the joy that you have, regardless of everything. It feels very present, all these things with you right now. I love that. Well, I always say that I've cried enough tears in my life. So when I want to dance, I dance. And I will literally have known in my neighborhood, I will dance down the street. I dance at the grocery store. I dance everywhere. <laughs> because life is hard. So find yeah. the things that, that give you joy and do them and do them often and unapologetically. Love that. Love that. Marcy, thank you so much for being on. I really appreciate you. Thanks for the chat. I appreciate it.